0: I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. We have got a great conversation for you this week all about the backdraw flu and this epidemic of withdrawals from the backdraws at our biggest national tournaments. It's been crazy what's going on around the country, especially with national hard courts happening uh, last week. And so I'm really excited to have Mark Lucero on the show this, this week to talk about this with us. I had posted something on Twitter and Mark responded and said, hey, we need to do a podcast on this topic. So here we are talking about why it's important to play the back draw. And Mark has some incredible insights to share. He is such an experienced coach. He's coached at the junior level. He's worked at USTA. He's currently coaching at the professional level and knows the game inside and out. And one of the things I really love about him is that he is committed not only to developing incredible tennis players, but also to developing incredible men and women through tennis. And so I think you'll... Get a sense of that as you listen to our conversation this week. As always, I want to encourage you to please, please, please share the podcast with your tennis playing friends, your friends that are tennis parents or coaches because we are just out here trying to educate parents and coaches to help our kids do better out there. And the more people that listen and check out parentingaces.com, the better. For those of you planning on traveling to New York for the US Open, please let me know if you're going to be there. I will be there august 30th through september 6th and would love to meet up and have a chat and take a picture and do whatever else so um you can reach me on social media or email me lisa at parentingaces.com. all right enough of all that i will get right to it mark lucero talking about the backdraw flu enjoy Mark Lucero, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's great to have you back.
1: I'm so excited to talk about one of my favorite things.
0: (laughs) Well, the backdraw is um, a hot topic right now. After national clays and national hard courts, there seems to be a ton of discussion all over social media about the, quote, backdraw flu. And before we get in, I I just want to kind of quote a stat that I read, and that is that 15 years ago, the percentage of withdrawn matches at the Kalamazoo boys 18s was 5.88% in the back draw. That number is now up to more than 16.89%. So, I mean, clearly there's something weird going on uh, and a big increase in the number of walkovers in the back draw
1: yeah I think you know for me it just it stands out so much um, because it's such a missed opportunity for so many players and, and that to me is kind of what it's all about I'm really passionate about you know junior development and how kids can get better and just opportunities to get better in, in general and so when I when I see these things and when I look at the draws for these national tournaments which I sort of always keep tabs on um, it, you know it really stands out to me and I'm glad that that, that statistic was put out there and and that we see it's not just, you know, something we think is happening, but it's actually, you know, for people who've done the digging, they can prove to us that it's something that we know is happening. And we're not just, you know, we're not just uh, nostalgic for these good old days, but there's actually data to back it up. And so I think it's really, it's a really telling statistic.
0: Yeah, it's huge. And, you know, to be fair, there are a lot of contributing factors to why players withdraw from the backdraw. And I, You know, I think it's important that we talk about all of these and understand maybe some of the, you know, lesser obvious facts about why people are pulling out, but just so my my listeners know I mean you are an elite developmental coach you know you work with some of the top players in the country and you've been at this quite a while so your perspective is one to be taken pretty seriously I think
1: yeah that's nice of you to say I, I mean I think I've been really fortunate to have experience at all levels of the game and, and I've kind of been through the been through the junior system and I spend most of my time you know working with with a professional player. Um, but I also work with juniors and I think, I think having been at the professional level for a while now, it sort of affords me this perspective that I might, you I know, might not have had either as a younger coach or even obviously, uh, if I was a parent taking my child through it for the first time. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times the, the decision making or the rationale behind the decision making, um, you know, doesn't necessarily come from, from people who have, who've done it or who've kind of gone through this and who've sort of developed players and understand sort of what the mentality I think should be like, uh, for, you know, setting the course for a player's development and how these tournaments sort of fit into that. And I think a lot of times you have, you know, maybe people who haven't been through it either, you know, their parents or or younger coaches who haven't been down this road before. Um, and, uh, for sure, like you said, there's, you know, There's valid reasons always, and so I I have no problem with, you know, when players are hurt and they pull out, like, I get it. I I would never send a player out in the court if they're injured, Um, you know, regardless of if they're in doubles or main draw singles or back draw, um, you know, I think there's always extenuating circumstances, but I think it's up to us as the adults in the room to sort of help the kids sort through that and and then make a decision that, you know, they might not be happy with, but that we think is in their best interest um, long term.
0: So one of the things that keeps getting brought up is the fact that for some of these top players in these big national tournaments, and I'm talking players that are not playing many junior USTA events, if any, other than national hard courts and, you know, perhaps clay courts, you know, they're on the ITF circuit, they're playing professional events, et cetera, et cetera, that... When they go to these big national events, they're there for one reason, and that's to win the tournament. And once they lose in the main draw, they're finished. They, they have no reason to stay. What do you say to that argument?
1: I mean, I, I say that that's entirely the wrong mentality. Um, I mean, for sure. Like, like, let's not, you know, we're not kidding ourselves. Like, yeah, they're going there to try to get into the U.S. Open. But for me, like, I would I would never take a player to a tournament with the with the mindset or setting the expectations that if they lose, if they don't win the tournament, that the tournament's a failure. I, I never, I never would equate, you know, win with success and lose with fail. Like I just don't believe that. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that really there are good coaches who do that. Um, I think, you know, if for, if I have a top prospect, I was actually thinking about this this morning. Um, if I have a, t- you know, if I have a top player who's, you know, even already turned pro, um, and I know that. You know, I think they can be a decent player. Like, I want to see with, I want to see how they react when their feet are to the fire. Like, when they have nothing to gain by beating, you know, some guy who qualified out of the section, or when they're, you know, in a tough match with someone that they quote-unquote like should be beating easily. Like that, that's what I want to see. I want to see how they react to that. And then I want to see how they react to say they lose a match. I want to see how they react in the back draw when they really have nothing to gain, because that's I think most telling about what's going to be indicative of their long-term potential for success because being a pro is extremely difficult being a successful pro player and so how they can handle with you know how they can handle the ups and downs how they can handle disappointment and bouncing back the next day in this tournament you know is going to equate to how they bounce back after two or three first round losses in a row when they're traveling the world um, for me that that's almost more important or that's almost more telling than how they do if they you know if they win seven matches and win the tournament like anyone can do great when they're winning and feeling good and and doing all that, like that, you know, I I just, I don't think there's a lot to be gained from that, like for their long-term development, like winning the tournament really has no, uh, has no bearing on their long-term success as a pro player. But for me, if if I'm, you know, if I'm taking a young player along and I'm responsible for their development on this road to being a pro player, like I a hundred percent want to see how they react when you know, when a situation when a situation can potentially be turning bad. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's really that's really what I think is, is telling, because I've seen so many, you know, quote unquote, talented players um, who are great in juniors, but lack the, you know, lack the character or lack the resilience or grit to really make it and to, to endure what it takes to be a you know, successful pro player.
0: Well, playing devil's advocate for a second, I mean, there is something to be said for winning that wild card into the US Open and getting that paycheck, especially sure. for the kids who are just starting out on their professional career. And that paycheck could mean the difference between staying out on tour all year or not. I mean, it's a pretty big paycheck that first round, you know, getting into the into the open, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, it's, you know, for these kids who are turning pro and, you know, whatever, maybe they're ranked a thousand or 800 or whatever it is, like on the boys and, you know, and the girls might be ranked a little bit higher. But yeah, still like $50,000 um, is a lot of money and can keep them afloat for a while. Um, but I, I would argue like, you know, I don't think that um, I, mean, I think that's always going to be there. Like, you know, say they're, you know, fast forward five years and they're playing, you know, in the third or fourth round of a major And they're playing, you know, knowing that their next match is going to get them half a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's always going to be there. I think that, that, you know, that potential um, financial payoff. So I think being able to, you know, I think thinking about the money, I think is normal. But I think for us, the ones who are responsible for them, helping them frame it in a way that they can focus on the tennis and focus on, you know, what are our long term developmental goals? Like, what are we thinking about? Like, what's the process we need to go through in order to be successful? Like that's where, that's where we come in because yeah, uh, you know, a hundred percent, it's totally normal. Like thinking about money, thinking about, you know, if I win this tournament, like, yeah, cause there's a lot, there's a lot in the line. If you win nationals, like, man, your marketability goes up. Like, you know, so maybe there's some endorsements that'll emerge. Like there's a lot of things to be said for that, but I think, you know, that's where we come in as, you know, pl- as coaches and parents and the people that the support team, that's where we can sort of help them focus on what really matters. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that I think we can, that helps them sort of cut through the the outside noise.
0: It's interesting to, again, to read some of the commentary that's going on on social media about this and, you know, the backdrop flu. And, you know, one of the things that I find so interesting about our national championships is we do have kids playing in these tournaments who have turned pro, um, who are living that professional lifestyle and they come back to play our national championship. And one side of the, of the argument is, well, if they're already pro, what are they doing playing in a junior tournament, right? They don't belong there in the first place. The other side of, of that argument is if it's truly a national championship, don't we want our best 18 and under players there regardless of their pro or amateur status? And if we are going to expect these you know, 18, 17, 18-year-old 18 professional players to come back and play our national championships, do we need to cut them some slack about the back draw? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I side more with, um, you know, with the second scenario you pose. Uh, I think, you know, the best players should be playing the tournament. Um, you know, I, I think also we're the only country in the world that, you know, that discerns between amateurs and professionals. Um, so, but yeah, I think that we... Are you know we want the best players if we're deciding who's gonna you know who's gonna represent the 18 and under country in the you know the United States Open I think our best players should be playing there and you know I, so I, so I think I think that part's fine however uh, when you sign up to when you make a commitment to do something to play this tournament um, there's no box you check where I'm just gonna you know I'm gonna play half the tournament or I'm gonna just only play this certain part of the tournament <laughs> you know you're signing up to play the tournament and part right. of the agreement. That's, you know, the part of the social contract, I guess you could say, is that you play the tournament to completion. Uh, so I think even bigger than tennis, like, you know, this is a, a teachable moment. Um, that's something that was kind of drilled into me. My first job, which was at Princeton um, by the athletic director, like this need to help these kids and, and find these teachable moments where we can teach them about more than just sport. And I think this is one of them. When, you know, this is about making a commitment and finishing your commitment out.
0: So what about the argument that you know it's expensive to go to these tournaments and and let me just say that next week's totally podcast is. next week's podcast is how do we develop junior players on a budget so you know there's there's a reason I'm bringing this up but you know it is it's so expensive to go and national tournaments are typically a week long and that's a lot of hotel expense, a lot of meal expense, a lot, you know, travel for the majority of the kids that are there. Um, and so for some of them, when they lose in the main draw and maybe there's a rain delay or two, you know, a couple days where there's just not many matches being played and you're hanging out and you're paying for this hotel and yada, yada, yada. I mean, at what point do you say this just makes no sense? Like, let's just pack it up and go home.
1: I mean, I feel worse for the kids who get three withdrawals in a row and they're still there. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I, I feel bad for those kids who have, you know, received three walkovers in a row and they're still hanging around looking to play somebody. Um, you know, I think, yeah, it's it's tennis is expensive, and and these tournaments are a financial burden for a lot of families. Um, I I feel like the parents, you know, it's a little bit. I, I hate to discount this because I'm very I'm very sensitive to the financial, you know, toll that this sport can take. But I do feel like it's a little bit disingenuous at times because there are often parents who would never complain about this money if the kid was still winning.
0: Right. Um,
1: and so, I, you know, I, I think you can't have it both ways. Like, I agree that there's a financial burden 100%, and I wish there were more ways that, the sport, the governing body, I wish there were more ways to alleviate this from families, because I think it would increase participation, it would increase the, the economic diversity of the sport, um, which would probably help us in a lot of ways. Um, So I do think it's a legitimate problem that I wish that, you know, I I hope that we're continuing to search for ways to mitigate this financial impact on families, um, where if if there are more tournaments that can offer, you know, that can offer housing or hospitality in the future, I think that'd be a great advance forward. Um, Or if there's, you know, maybe even no backdraw, So that just so we're not getting to this point where a people have to make that decision about should I spend this extra money, and then the people that are willing to do that and to hang around and and especially the families that it's still a financial sacrifice, but they're choosing to try to provide their child with, you know, with a competitive experience that's worthwhile, the ones who are actually the one the ones who are suffering from all these withdrawals, like those are the ones I feel the most, you know, the, the most sympathy for.
0: Right, and it's interesting because there are families that travel to Kalamazoo and to San Diego and wherever else these national tournaments are being held around the country these days. Um, and this is their kids' only chance to play other players of that level. They're coming from a community okay. maybe where you know they're by far the best player in the area, and the only time a year they get to face these top players is – at national hard courts or national clay courts. And so.
1: And, and sorry to cut you off, but and one of the few opportunities perhaps for them to be seen by some of the best college coaches in the country. And I, you know, I was speaking, I spoke to a couple of coaches that left early from the national championships because there were just so many withdrawals and they weren't able to see the players they wanted to see. Um, and, and that for me, that's terrible because this, this should be a great opportunity for a lot of players to get seen by, you know, by these coaches and ones that are choosing, especially to the ones that, are not this top tier of players, um, the ones who are this next level down or the mid-level, um, the ones who would probably benefit from being seen by the coaches, uh, you know, and, and those players not being seen uh, and the players that they were going to play. Like for me, that that's just, that's just that's really sad.
0: I wonder though, you know, if a college coach is there and, and is hoping to see, you know, top player number five and top player number five withdraws, but top player number five's opponent in the back draw hangs around, does that lend more, you know, does that give that that other player an advantage? Because, hey, I didn't withdraw. I stuck yeah. it out even though I was probably going to lose this match, but I just wanted the opportunity to play. And I wonder if that raises that player's value.
1: That's, that's a good point. I, I think so. I, I think so. Um, I actually had, I talked to another coach who was telling me, we were talking about this backdrop issue at the, in San Diego. And he was saying one of the reasons that he ended up getting a scholarship to the school that he played at, which was a top school. And the coach ended up telling him is because he had, you know, he had won like eight matches in the draw like in, you know, 10 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, so I think, I think, I think people notice that. And I, I, you know, when I speak with college coaches, like over and over, I hear, you know, words like character and, and grit and things like that. And, those certainly, you know, are on display in the backdraw. I know that's why they're watching those matches. So, yeah, I think I think that's a great point you make.
0: Yeah. So another issue that seems to keep coming up is that all of these backdraw withdrawals are the result of the governing bodies and the ranking and rating organizations not punishing—and I'm using air quotes—not punishing players for pulling out. And I wonder if you have thoughts on that and maybe some potential solutions to that.
1: Man. Um, I wish I had a solution to that. Uh, I think the, the way that it's currently set up where, you know, players can withdraw and they have have an injury. Um, I think it's a really, it's a slippery slope. If you have someone who's sort of saying, okay, your injury is valid. Your injury is not valid. Uh, And things like that, or your, you know, your reasoning is, is not, you know, is not accurate, or your, you know, we find fault in, you know, the reason you pulled out. I I think it's really tricky because, you know, at some point it's going to end up, um, it'll end up punishing someone who maybe, actually, you know, pulled their hamstring or, you know, Mm -hmm. their ankles like the size of a grapefruit, and they actually, they actually (laughs) legitimately can't play. Um, So, and and I would hate to punish those guys, and I, I would always i would hesitate to put in a rule where just an arbitrary rule where any withdrawal you know where the match isn't played you get you know you get dinged um so i don't know we do
0: i will say we do have that rule in some sections now
1: yeah southern Cal is one of those (laughs) that has a section like that um and yeah like you have x number of of withdrawals and at some point you get you know you get a letter then you get like a penalty point or whatever and you get punished at some point i kind of get that but um as far as the rankings go um you know, maybe uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure. I know UTR has some serious brain power over there, and I'm sure they're thinking about how to, uh, you know, how to do something with in this realm. I know that they're right, right now. They have the number of withdrawals. Uh, right. It, it's listed on there. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure. I'm sure this is something that's going to get a lot of attention. Also, you know, with the USDA meetings coming up um, and the uh, competition committee meeting, uh, I'm sure they're going to be addressing this because I, I, they would be. it it would be shocking if they weren't noticing the trend. So I I think there's going to be, I think this will be addressed in the future.
0: I hope so. I mean, so one of the things that keeps getting thrown around is let's just do away with the back draw. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, You know, I I don't know if that's totally necessary because again, like, you know, families are coming, you know, some families are driving across the country to get to this tournament, maybe like first and second round losers or something like that. Um, And maybe there's, Some sort of uh, or or maybe like first, you know, first round losers only and people who are going to play like, you know, have to sign in by the end of the the first day or something by, you know, the same way you'd sign in for qualities for a tournament or something. Um, But something where it's very clear that this is the expectation and these are the people that want to play and these are the people that are going to play. Um, I think, uh, you know, I I just I don't think we can continue, uh, you know, doing, you know, the, the status quo, if it were to continue, I think. I think this problem is only going to get worse. So, you know, I think maybe it's
0: trending for sure the wrong way. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: I think it needs to be addressed. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I have such mixed feelings about all of this because I feel like there's so many kids that get into these tournaments, you know, by the skin of their teeth and they go in knowing, you know, they may win one match, but likely that's it. And, you know, so how do we justify taking the time and the money to travel to this tournament to go play one match and then be out. Um, And I will say, you know, from a tournament director standpoint to have the whole idea of signing in to play the back draw. I mean, I love that, but Holy cow, does that create a lot of work for the tournament director? Because then they've got to create a whole new draw based on who's opting in. Right. So that's a lot of work after a long day of being out there and, doing their job during the day. So um, I, I'm not sure, you know, how that would work. I, I just, I don't know what the answer is, but I know it's a big problem. And and I hate calling out kids that that pull out, but, you know, and I do know there, there are some kids that, let's say at uh, Kalamazoo that lost in the singles, but were still in the doubles. And so they pulled out of the singles back draw, but were allowed to continue to play doubles because that wildcard for in the for US me, that's Open is inexcusable.
1: That, that's, for right. me, that's inexcusable.
0: So that's an easy one, right? That, that's to, an easy that's one. A if no you from the
1: tournament, you withdraw from the entire tournament, right? Yeah. And, I agree and with maybe
0: you. that would curb some of this. You know, I don't know if if we institute even that little rule that if you withdraw from the singles, you are out. Or if you withdraw from the doubles, you're out. You know, if you sign up for an event, you play to completion. And if you opt out of doing that, then you're out of every event you've signed up for.
1: Yeah, I'd be in favor of that. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Good idea, Lisa. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They need to just make us head of... All tennis, right for the whole world. Yeah,
1: I like it. Can you, you can you can write up that proposal and submit it. I don't know when the deadline is, but maybe we, you know, the Southern Section can get it, you know, introduced at national meetings.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that'll go over well. <laughs> we'll see. Well, let's talk about the physicality of the game and how yeah. that's impacting the back draw, and you know what to do about that piece of it. As right. a coach, I mean, this this is something you you have to be addressing, right?
1: Sure. Uh, I actually remember getting into it with a parent one time. uh, This is years ago at National Clay Courts. Um, He was asking me why the player that I was in charge of at the time wasn't playing doubles. Um, And you know, as a you know as a coach, like shouldn't I you know that's when I was working for the USDA. You know, shouldn't I be promoting participation in doubles? And and I told him that you know that, that my job was to do what I thought was best for the player, and I thought the player like had a legitimate chance to win the tournament. And for her to win the tournament. Like, I didn't want her out there playing doubles every day, like, at the end of the day, you know? And, you know, she ended up winning the tournament, so, you know, I was, you know, I was sort of right, I guess. But <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> um, yeah, like, I agree. Like, uh, you know, I guess making it relevant to our discussion, like, people are oh geez I can maybe you know still go deep in the doubles why do I want to be out there playing you know possibly two backdraw matches a day um and yes it's physical these conditions can be very hot particularly in these national tournaments that are you know in the midwest or in the south um you know in San Diego it was warm this year but you don't have the humidity um so yeah I'm you know I'm sympathetic to that you know at the same time these matches are you know there's a match tiebreaker for the third set uh in the backdraw. um and, you know, they're played, you know, early and then late again. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm sensitive to that issue also, but I just don't see it as a valid reason to not play, you know, especially when you sign up for a tournament knowing that there is a backdraw. Um, right. Otherwise, you know, if you don't intend on playing a tournament, like, don't sign up. Uh you know, I think um, I think the tournaments maybe can you know have bigger windows between matches. Again, I know it's not as easy as me coming up with that idea because I know there's you know it impacts courts and the scheduling for the main draw matches. Um, I think a lot of these tournaments, you know, oftentimes these you know these rounds are just scheduled too close together for my liking. Uh, you know, they would never ask professionals to do it, and obviously these professional players are adults, and these are kids we're asking. Um, so you know, I'm very mindful of that. Um, you know, it, it's just that there's so many there's so many factors beyond what I think is best for the player. Like the tournament directors are considering, like you mentioned, um, it it's an imperfect system, mm-hmm. right? And you know, I think again, it comes back to you know my you know my job as a coach or your job as a parent. Like if I see you know this child who's out there playing the back draw and something doesn't look right, like you know, maybe I need to pull them. And you know, for, again, if if this is an issue, heat stroke, whatever it is, like, you know, anything legitimate, I understand these things happen, and I don't have a problem with it. Like, am I going to make the best decision? You know, for this child's safety and long term well being, like that is always my number one concern. And so, it be, you know, it becomes to us to sort of keep an eye on those things and make sure they're they're just okay in general out there.
0: So let me just ask you this: as a coach because of the physicality of the game especially as we get into the 16s and even more so in the 18s what is the role of the coach and what is the role of the parent and what is the role of the player to ensure that the player is in optimal physical condition to withstand the rigors of the tournament i mean cuz you have to go into the tournament assuming you're going to be there from day 1 to Day finals <laughs> sure <laughs> you know?
1: right this is a great question <laughs> um because the thing is too, like not everybody has the same resources, so I think you know i first first of all i guess as a as a coach, like I feel like my job is to make sure the player is prepared in all aspects um prepared with the game wise prepared sort of uh as far as their body, meaning they're fresh um meaning they're in a good place uh, physically. Um, Maybe I don't, you know, maybe I'm not the one who does the fitness. Maybe someone else is in charge of the fitness, or maybe I do some of it. I don't know. Everyone's situation is a little bit different, but I think it's my job to kind of oversee all the different, you know, all the different uh, moving parts of the team. Um, It's my job to monitor the volume leading up to the tournament, meaning, you know, our practices maybe are, you know, are longer two or three weeks out. And then as we get closer, the practices get much shorter and the volume is much less. Um, so they're fresh when they go to the tournament, so they're not tired when they're going to the tournament. Um, and the parent, I think, the parent, nobody knows the kids as well as their parents, and I think parents can look at their kid, their child, and see, hey, you know, Billy's not right. Or, hey, Sally, you know, man, she looks good right now. She looks ready to go. Um, I, I think that's where the coach and the parents can communicate. Um, I, think it's, I think the communication is critical so that they're on the same page. Um, I would rather over-communicate than under-communicate. And, you know, as far as the tennis goes and that sort of anything on the performance side, I think the coach kind of steers the ship for that or, or should be um, doing that or should be empowered to do that. I, I know it's not always that way, but I think, I think things work best when sort of the coach is, is guiding through their experience and the parents are, you know, are continuing to look out for their child's well-being um, and, and that they both, you know, end up working together. So that, you know, the the child is in a position to you know, to do what they love to do, hopefully, which is to play tennis and to go out there in the tournament and do their best, which is all everyone really should be asking of them.
0: Mm-hmm. And then what about the player him or herself? I mean what's yeah. what's the yeah, player's responsibility going out? Yeah.
1: Right. So I I really I you know, with the there's a couple of junior players who I help out, um and, and I really encourage them and I really try to constantly um especially, you know, you know, when they're like 13, 14, 15, um, I really try to like to hammer the message home that I want them to communicate with me and and let me know how they're feeling and to feel free to like bring things up, which, you know, it's hard for kids that age. I mean, as they get older, it's a little bit easier for them to speak up or to like bring things up on their own. But I want to, I actually legitimately want to know like how you're feeling today. I want to know how your body feels today. I want to know, you know, what you think, you know, what do you think you need to do to get ready for this tournament? It's a, it's a great question that I heard um, Craig Boyton, who coaches uh, Sam and Stevie, um, Sam Query and Stevie Johnson. I heard him ask one of the one of the boys that before one of the tournaments. And I thought that was such a great question. And I've started to ask, you know, I asked Shelby Rogers that, who you know, I work with, or some of the juniors, as, as we get close to competing, like, what do you feel like you need to do today in order to be ready to play tomorrow or the next day? Um, I mean, I don't believe in always asking the player that. I believe in send a the message that I know, you know, what the player needs to do, um, you know, more times than, than, than not. But I, I like to ask them or, or just, I mean, encourage them to, to feel okay speaking up, um, when they don't feel right. Because, you know, again, like if we're out here, if they feel like crap and we're out here practicing for three hours, like, you know, what are we doing? Like, we're not being productive with our time. I'd rather go 45 minutes and, and make it productive and they feel good about it and have them rest and get ready for the next day so we can be productive again versus, um, you know, trying to, you know, bang our heads against the wall and, and no one's feeling good. Uh, and then we end up, you know, wasting all this time. Like, I, I, I just, I want them to, I want them to feel some sort of ownership over what they're doing. Um, and it's important too that they, you know, that they feel the freedom to communicate.
0: Right. So circling back to the back draw and yep. assuming that these withdrawals from the back draw have nothing to do with injury or health concerns, Um, because we're just going to assume that the kids that are at the tournament have, you know, legitimately prepared their bodies and their minds to go out there and compete and are capable of doing that. Right. So they're withdrawing for another reason, whether it be mom and dad have to get back to work. Um, we can't pay for another night in the hotel. Uh, the ranking points aren't worth sticking around. Uh, the competition's not worth sticking around. I mean, there are a myriad of reasons, right? right um what what is as as an observer all that of all this what is your response to a player who says I'm perfectly healthy and I'm withdrawing from the tournament
1: I would say you're missing the point <laughs> I, I mean it's for I would tell them it's such an opportunity um and in my experience in the game and the, the things that I've been able to see um, what you can gain from the playing the back draw, what you can demonstrate and learn about yourself playing in the back draw outweighs, I mean, for me, it outweighs whatever they could, whatever they could do in the main draw if, things, you know, if everything went perfectly for them. Um, I would say it's invaluable that um, this opportunity is in front of them and, and I wish they were taking advantage of it and I think it's really sad that they're not and I would tell them that um, and you know I, I've seen like I've seen some massive implosions in the backdrop from some of the highest ranked Americans in the world right now Um and because it's not easy, it's so it's so hard for some of these players to go back out there. But the fact of the matter to me that, that speaks to their current success, that speaks to their chances at that time years ago of, you know, that they would have to be this successful was that they were willing to go back out there and put themselves out there. For, and, for, and for me, like, that's so telling um, that they were able to do that or that they were willing to do that. And, and again, and they were willing to go through what happened in that next match, you know, which, you know, they had... Nothing, you know, to gain, quote unquote, when they went back out there, and that they were putting themselves, they were willing to be vulnerable. They were putting themselves in a position where they really had, you know, like I said, nothing to gain, but they put themselves out there. And for me, that speaks volumes. Uh, And and for any, for any player who just, you know, arbitrarily chooses not to play because they don't want to, or because they're disappointed they lost, or because they're bummed, or because they think they're a little too good, I I would say they're missing the point entirely of, of what, you know, of what could be gained from from stepping foot back out in the court.
0: And so, to a coach who is with a player, and the player says, "I'm not playing the back draw," and the coach says, "Fine."
1: I mean, I, I would say, I would say, like, if you're if we if you're thinking about the child's long term best interest, I, I would suggest you rethink that decision. And I, you know, I, I think. If you look at society as a whole right now, you have adults in, in positions of power, be them parents or teachers or coaches who are more interested in being friends than being, you know, being authority figures or being people who guide, the, you know, guide these children towards being successful adults. Um, I, I think the same thing happens in tennis. And so I would really encourage them to rethink, you know, what's best not only for this child's long term development as a tennis player, but as a person also.
0: And again, as a coach, if I, the parent, say to you, my kid lost, I, I, I've got to get back, he's missing school, I'm missing work, um, I'm, I'm taking him home. What do you right. say to me?
1: <clears throat> I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely uncomfortable with, you know, with the financial impact of the sport, and and I would never when the decision becomes financial um i always leave that to the family because i i who am i to tell them like hey you know you need to spend some more money and especially if i know it's a legitimate financial burden um so i i would you know i, I would tell them I, I would ask them a like you know if your child had one would you you know would you still be okay like you know paying or would this still be a concern and then you know again i'd be like i i respect your decision you know whatever you make but i would really I would really, again, go back to the reasons that I think the backdraw is worthwhile, like you know, character development, long term, um, you know, again, not just as a player, but as a person, um, and as well as you know, if they're you know, a real like, prospect, like what I think, you know, where I think the value is in there. Um, and, but again, I would leave the decision to them because I, you know, the financial side of the game, um, I think that's a family decision.
0: One thing we haven't really touched on um, is the whole school thing. And I just did a podcast on on virtual school and and we know that there are a lot of tennis players that are opting out of traditional school environments and choosing alternative methods of education and um I know I well, I don't know in SoCal I think y'all don't go back so early but you know the kids in Atlanta went back to school uh August 1st this year so if if you're playing national hard courts you are missing school um, you know it's just a, a reality so how valid of an excuse is that
1: I mean I, I kind of think like I think if you choose to go to a tournament you're basically acknowledging you're going to miss a whole week of school um, so you know I think I think people who lean on that excuse, um, I think it's a little weak, to be honest, um, just because, again, same as the money, like, if they were still in the main draw, like, they'd be happily missing class again. And, you know, most of these kids that I know are not really that, like, pumped to hustle back to school, like, you know, especially if it's near the end of the week.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: you know? Um, right. So, I, again, it's like, uh, oh, like, mom and dad, I think we need to go home because, like, you know, I got my chores to do. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that many kids that are actually thinking that versus, you know, telling an adult what, you know, they think they want to hear in order to get what they want, which is some other thing. Um, So I think it's, you know, again, I don't like to double book. And if you're going to try to do both, I think you should do one or the other.
0: So, I mean, all of this comes back to the same exact thing that you said at the very beginning of this conversation, which is if you make a commitment to play the tournament, you stay and play the entire tournament start to finish. Right, and if you're not willing to do that, then don't sign up to play. Leave the spot for somebody who is willing to do that. Right? I mean, am 100%. I am I hearing you right?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent in agreement with your <laughs> your version of what I said. Yes.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so that that was the short version of yes. what we've just discussed for the last forty minutes. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I don't I don't know what to say to parents. I I'm really kind of at a loss because. I, I'm like you, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to missing work, missing school, cost, right. all of those things. But I think the thing you said about if your kid were winning, would you still make that same choice is a very telling statement. And I think people need to really think about that. What message are you sending that if you win, we can... Stay. If you lose, I'm not willing to make this sacrifice anymore. So you, I mean, so then the, the next piece of that is, so you better win or we're not doing this. And, and what does that do to a developing player to have (laughs) that kind of pressure on them? I mean, seriously,
1: I agree. It's horrible. I mean, if you're a kid and you're realizing these things and you know, Oh geez, like, My family, I mean, I think we talked about this last time. My family spends so much money to like, you know, let me play tennis or my parents are missing work. But so, geez, I better, I better win. Like anytime you think I better win, like, I mean, it's, uh, it's usually, it's rarely good that anything that comes out of that.
0: Right. I mean, it's, it's typically a recipe for disaster. It's just too much pressure, especially on the younger kids. But even on the older teens, you know, who have come to understand what it means, maybe they, you know, they teach tennis and, you know, get out there and bust their tushies for an hour for 10 bucks. And, you know, they start to understand the value of money. Um, it's a lot of pressure to put on them. And so I think as parents, we have to be really careful about, even if we're we're saying it subliminally, we're not coming flat out and saying, you know, well, you lost, so I'm not going to spend the money for you to stay and play the back draw. Um, that sends a very clear message to our kids.
1: You're correct. Yeah, 100%. And my I feel like one of one of the biggest things one of my biggest uh, challenges as a coach is to try to convey to the player this feeling of um this feeling to them of belief, of belief in them and and that my biggest belief um that I want them to understand is that I am not about the results. Like whatever happens when they play their match today, like um for me, it doesn't really matter. But like the things that that, that do matter are other things. Um, and if they can, if I can get them to sort of understand that I think that, and if, eventually, if I can get them to think that the same way, then we're we're going to have good results. I know that. But once when players are fixated on results, on wins and losses, um, it, it you know it becomes difficult for them to think about what they need to do in order to win, in order to get that win um, when they're, you know, when they're just consumed with, you know, with the result or especially like, you know, you just said these external pressures coming from, you know, f- from parents, you know, sending these messages.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what are those other things that they need to be consumed with?
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, I tell them, um, that I have two expectations when they go in the court. One is that they compete their butt off, compete, you know, compete ruthlessly, which for me, doesn't you know it doesn't just mean running for every ball, like you know the dog can run for every single ball. I want them thinking about you know being a problem solver, being you know a competitor who makes adjustments out there and yeah and, and fighting for every shot and, and trying to play each point as well as they possibly can play it like that's my first expectation, my second expectation is that they play in the way that we talk about when we do our lessons or when we do our practices and they, you know, that they try to hit the back end down the line that we've been working on or that they, you know, look for chances to be aggressive, like that we talk about, you know, whatever it is, every player is different, but you know, the one that they compete their butt off and then two, that they play the way that we agree upon. Um, And then the other, the, the other things like that I value, like I value, you know, I value how well they play defense. I value, you know the character that they demonstrate when they play. Like I, you know, like alluded to earlier, I value how they respond when they get a bad call or when they lose the first set or, you know, when they lose that match and have to play the next day. Like I value how they respond when situations are the darkest because for me that's the most telling and that's what I really try to communicate to everybody that I work with and to try to do this very early on before we even set foot on the court so that the expectations are very clear. And I reinforce this every time we go to a tournament, every time they play a match, I make these things very clear. And then on the flip side, after the match, that's what I talk about. I don't talk about, geez, he just lost. Like, that really sucks. Like, I, you know, I want you to win. (laughs) Like, you know, I don't say that because if, you know, because I have to be consistent too. So if I'm, you know, if I talk about all these, you know, altruistic things and then as soon as the match is over, I talk about the win or the loss, like, what message am I sending? So I need to be, I need to, you know, I need to demonstrate that I believe those things also. So that's what I talk about, you know, Hey, you know, we talked about hitting, you know, your slice backhand and you hit like, you know, you didn't hit your first slice till middle of the second set. Like, you know, that for me is a bigger issue than them losing the match or them even missing that backhand slice. I don't care if they missed it. I just want them to try it. I want them to do it because that's what we work on. Um, If they miss a shot, it just means that we need to practice it more. Um, Or like, hey, you didn't really compete. Like, that's what we talk about. Like, you know, we talk about competing all the time and, you know, I value that. Like, what are the, you know, what happened? What were you thinking when, you know, when you kind of went away? What was going through your mind? Because I want to understand and help them. And I want to, I want to know why it happened and, you know, not just be mad that it happened. Like, you know, again, that's, you know, it's pointless. Um, My job is to get to the bottom of what happened and help them address it so that it's better in the future. Um, and, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, helping them understand that too, that if they do those things, well, they're going to be, they're going to get better as a player. And if they get better as a player, the wins and losses, like those will come, you know, not the losses, but the wins. <laughs> um, right. Well, the happen, losses no are going <laughs>
0: to, I was going to say the losses are going to come too. And <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't have to do, any, have to do anything
1: and the losses will come, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. but, uh, you know, if, if we, it, you know, again, like. If I know what I'm doing a little bit and we sort of, find, you know, ag- agree on these expectations, like I think that, you know, the results will come.
0: Mm-hmm. Sometimes
1: you just can't control it when they come.
0: Right. And I think hearing all this from you, you know, to my listeners, I mean, I, this is really valuable stuff as a parent to hear a coach say and to Start to think about how we as parents can use these messages in our own conversations with our kids, and get away from "Oh, I love you so much. You won your match today. You're awesome." Or right. "Oh, you lost your match today, and then you don't say another word." The silent car
1: ride home. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean that's, <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, it is. It's you know, brutal. I've been there. I've been in that car. You know, I've been there as a passenger. <laughs> you know, in the back seat. Like it's, you know, it's not great. Um, I'll tell you one other thing. Like for me, like as a coach and, and obviously, you know, in, in the pro game, like you're about results, you know, and you're hired and fired on results and your compensation is tied to results, but I will never talk about a result at, at you know, like before match or, or whatever, or before tournament. Um, and I feel like I do my very best work and that the player responds the best when I have this feeling internally that I am totally detached from what's going to happen that day where I don't like have this inner need for like a win or I'm really worried about losing or whatever. When I like have this feeling inside that I don't really care what's going to happen that day. Um, for me, like that's when things have gone the best and that's when I'm most calm when I'm delivering the message to the player. That's when the player isn't picking up on any like weird cues that I'm sending off. Um, And that's when I know that I've done a really good job preparing this player and the player is ready. And if they're ready, even if they lose today, something good's going to happen pretty soon. Um, And and that's a feeling that I chase. I don't always get to that spot because it's really hard to get there, um, you know, often, at least for me. Um, But I, you know, I constantly seek that feeling and I love when it's there. And and that's something I I try to tell people. Um, Like when I'm detached from what's happening, Um, you know, usually good things happen and that's kind of something I'm, like I said, I'm constantly chasing.
0: And as a parent to be able to get to that place is so difficult. I I
1: mean, I can only imagine
0: so difficult, but I agree with you when you can go and watch your kid with that feeling of, this has nothing to do with me and it has nothing to do with my relationship with my child. I'm just going to be there and, be thankful that my child's able to do something she loves, Um, and I'm just going to get enjoyment from that. I mean, that's what it's all about. But man, is it hard to get to that. Place. It's
1: hard. There was that. There was a, like, a thing on ESPN.com a couple maybe years ago, and they asked all these athletes, like, what was the favorite thing like that your parents said to you when you were playing sports? Yeah. And I, I love to watch you play. That was like uh, that was so cool. Like I, I loved that article and. You know, I remember, you know, I remember hearing the same thing from my parents at some point. I'm like, man, that's what? Like, that's so nice, you know?
0: Yeah, it's huge. And I remember, you know, it took me till my kid got to college to be able to do that on a consistent basis. Like, because I just felt like once he was in college, we knew he wasn't going pro. That wasn't a goal of his. You know, college was at the end of the line. And so the results just really didn't matter. I, it was all about him finding some joy out there. And, yeah me finding joy in watching him. And it was such a relief to know that I could finally get to that place after all those years of, you know, anxiety and turmoil.
1: <laughs> yeah, <I think laughs>
0: Every it took time me like so nine, ten years, years
1: as a coach on my own career, like nine or ten years to like come to that realization, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not easy.
0: No, it is not. So parents, if you're listening, I, you know, this, is, this should be what you're striving toward to get to that place where you can just find the joy in watching your child and be completely detached from everything else that happens out there but believe me, it is way easier said than done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, what else do you need to share with us about this whole backdraw craziness that's going on before we uh, sign off here?
1: Oh, man, I think we touched on a lot of it, but uh, I just, you know, I, I can't help but emphasize like, it's just, it's such an opportunity that a lot of people are missing out on and you know, it's, it's about more than tennis. Um, it's about, you know, teaching the, the value of making a commitment, following through in a commitment. And, you know, it, it's an opportunity to teach these young people, these young, you know, some are young adults, like maybe, I don't know, they're <laughs> teaching these kids, um, mm-hmm. and, and helping them become, you know, become better adults, like helping them grow as people. And if we think about, you know, the society in 20 years and when these people are adults, like, you know, how are they going to teach their kids or how are they going to teach the players they coach or how are they going to be at work uh, if they've grown up in this atmosphere where, you know, you don't have to fall through in your commitment or if you feel, you know, if you're a little bit sad, like you don't have to, uh, you know, come to work tomorrow or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, I think it's about, you know, it's about the big picture. It's about much more than tennis. And even if it's just about the tennis, like it's a real opportunity that lies in front of them. And, and I hope people – you know, can see the value in that.
0: Fantastic. I, I, it's a brilliant lesson and I hope everybody takes that to heart and, um, reconsiders next time they're can, you know, thinking about letting their child pull out of the back draw, assuming they're healthy and well, uh, of course, if it's yeah, an illness sure. or an injury, that's a whole other issue. But, um, yeah, when you commit, stick to your commitment, follow through, see it through to the end. And, It's a win for everybody in that situation.
1: Absolutely. I love talking about this stuff, Lisa. Thank you so much. It's so <laughs> I fun. love I, lo- I love talking I, tennis with you. So. I,
0: I know I love talking tennis with you too, and and I know sometimes we get into it on Twitter, and it's always <laughs> fun. I always get very excited when you comment on my tweets. So <laughs>
1: love the interaction. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah,
0: it's fantastic. So, Mark, if if people want to reach out to you or um, get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, um,
1: you know I'm on the social media pretty frequently. It's at Mark Lucero, M-A-R-C you on, on twitter and instagram um and feel free to reach out um you know that way uh for anyone who has any sort of questions i'm always happy to to offer any sort of advice um or you know just ideas about my own you know sort of experience and, and these things that i've gone through um relating to you know to junior tennis or whatever um and uh like i said you know i love to love to talk tennis so um i'm happy to help uh, however i can
0: Fantastic. And I'll put a link to your Twitter and Instagram in the show notes. So to my cool. listeners, check that out. And Mark, I, I hope to run into you sometime soon. I know you keep extending invitations for me to come visit when I'm in Southern California. And it seems like
1: I think I'll I'm see you there, in New York.
0: So oh, in New York. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah All right. At the women at the WTCA
1: uh, thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, let's make a point of, of meeting up and perfect. Um, and having conversation. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. And
1: thank you. My pleasure. As
0: always, I value your input and to my listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.